we are back here on the Afternoon Ask Anything show here on DKPittsburghSports.com. I'm Chris Carter here with Taylor Haas and Tom Reed. We got a lot to cover today. Everyone, get in here. Tune in. Listen in. If you're listening after the fact on DKPittsburghSports.com's podcast network, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are hosted. You'll listen to all of our answers. But remember, if you're tuning in, you're most likely doing so through Facebook Live, YouTube, or Periscope. If you're watching on Twitter, drop a question in the comment section, and any one of us will answer it on Pittsburgh Sports or anything of that nature. Uh, first of all, Taylor, Tom, how's it going? You guys are just coming off a crazy hockey game last night. Yeah, Penguins even the series. Uh Good Tristan Jar. I mean, what he was the big story, the the bounce back after the rough game one he had. Uh, really encouraging to see from him. Uh, Dave and Dan are on their way to New York now. Um, there's limits on road media, so I'm staying home for for this uh, for this uh, next uh, the next two games. But yeah, Mike Sullivan. He just talked uh, this afternoon. I handled that. Um, Malkin's going on the trip, which is a good sign. That's a very good sign. Um... I don't know about you guys, but I, I was like, like one thing Dayon kept saying, and I think we were all kind of in the same foot, but just the general panic after game one, watching Jari not play. And he didn't play well, but it's like, come on. Like, you know, this team can find, find ways to pick themselves up. Even outside of Jari, they can. But I wasn't surprised to see him improve on, on, on Tuesday night. Were, were any of you? No, and we talked talk, we talked about this on our own podcast that, you know, like, uh, Jari's like glove hand wasn't like a, a big issue in the regular season. It's not like, a, you know, something that, you know, he, he dealt with, uh, the full, the full year. It wasn't that game one. We talked about it, how you could, we thought we could kind of look at that game and say it was a fluke because the things he struggled with in game one weren't just weren't things that, uh, the regular season gave us any, uh, thought that it would continue into into game two of the rest of the playoffs. So and then and then that's what that's what happened. He did bounce back. So Tom, what was your thoughts on Jari? I think Tom. it was solid. I mean I don't think he was asked to make many spectacular saves, but made the ones uh particularly early in the game that he had to make. Um I mean Varlamov was much more tested in the game as far as high quality chances gave up just a horrible goal to open the game. But then he settled down. But Jari did what he had to do. Uh, I say thought he was in command most of the night. I don't think that he – again, I think that the, the Penguins played very well in front of him. Uh, I don't know the number of odd man rushes. Taylor would probably have a better idea, but it didn't seem like there were many. He really didn't have to face a lot of chances. And the one really good chance they had early in the game, I think Oliver Wallstrom just literally walked the puck into his glove instead of – shooting the puck or making any kind of play. He just literally stick handled the puck into his glove. Uh, but no, he, he played fine. You don't get, I don't fault him on the goal that he gave up. That was more a coverage problem and a nice shot. Uh, so yeah, they go to, you know, I, I think the series deserves to go back to the Long Island tied one, one. I think it's, it's been that well played and evenly played. You certainly will see it play out more. Game three starts tomorrow. That is Thursday. Got our first question here. Remember, leave a question in the, in, the, in the comment section here on Facebook Live, YouTube, or Periscope, and we will be sure to answer it right on air. Swan269, one of our regulars. Hey, what's up, Swan? How you doing? Asks, was the crowd last night a factor in the game? Thanks. Taylor, I know that they brought, what was it, 50% capacity now? So this is the yep. first time that's happened this season. What was that like? 
Yeah, that was the first game, uh, 50% capacity. Before that, it was 25 um, because the restrictions changed on Monday. Um, and it, it, it definitely felt that way. I mean, it, it sounded like it was a packed, a, a packed arena. Um, I mean, it was kind of evident just how the atmosphere changed from before uh, puck drop. And then once the game started, I think like the first big moment was Tanev's hit on, I think it was Brock Nelson uh, in the first like two minutes and just the way the crowd reacted to it. And then I mean, the fourth line was buzzing the rest of that shift. And um, I wrote about the crowd after and then, you know, the Sullivan and players, you know, talking about it after Sullivan said that he thought uh, it did really help with their start. Um, and getting a, a good start is huge against the Islanders, giving their record uh, when they score first. Um, and then Rust also mentioned, like, down the stretch, um, the last TV timeout came with, like, five minutes left, and that was the loudest I think the building was all night. Um, and he said that was huge. And then, again, uh, when he took the penalty with 128 to go in the, in the third, um, and then just the way the crowd cheered during during that PK, he said uh, he thought that gave a big boost to while, while he was in in the box. But yeah, I would say it's definitely a factor. Yeah, it was good. It was uh, you know again, it's it's just nice to I think I think players uh, athletes are like actors; they want to perform in front of a crowd. Uh, I think Taylor, we've we've talked about this during the course of this whole pandemic of you know while the athletes were appreciative of getting back out there and playing in the bubble and playing early this season in front of places where they didn't play, there was nobody there. Guys like to play in front of crowds, even if, even if they're booing you, well, I think guys that, like to play in front of crowds. I was on the Islanders call after game one um, and they spoke about, cause I guess what the Coliseum hasn't had uh, fans uh, or maybe not fans every game. No, they just. I, they have, I think they've started. They started later, uh, but they've definitely yeah. had fans. Well, not. I don't think mid to this degree, like this many, but because um, a, a few of them did say like how different it was playing in front of this many people. Um, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, it's 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 definitely, it was definitely uh, noticeable, and I'm sure it'll be loud uh, Thursday night in the Coliseum, which is always kind of like a college atmosphere. Those games, anyway, so. Uh, we'll see how the Penguins do in their last couple trips to the old Coliseum. We're going to take a quick baseball question to get this out of the way, just to switch it up real quick, even though none of us cover baseball. But Stock Carl asks, shouldn't catchers be the best hitters? They know what each puts like looks like uh, firsthand. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> Why can't they, you, your job is to know what pitch is coming when your guy's throwing it, so you should know when the other guy's throwing it. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a big difference from – watching from a catcher's position and watching as a batter and then still needing to have the capacity to swing and connect and, and do damage with it. I mean, there's been some really good hitting catchers in history, but uh, I still think it, those are different skills. I don't know what you guys. <laughs> yeah. Johnny, Johnny bench comes to mind. He was a terrific, obviously uh, catching uh, a hitting catcher. Mike Piazza uh, has been very good. They, they make better managers uh, after mm. their careers are over because they, the way they analyze games. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that the, the, the catcher is there mostly for defensive purposes and also working with the pitchers, uh, working with the staff, knowing your staff, knowing how to call a game. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, they've never, for the majority of times, haven't been, that. that's usually, look where they bat in the lineup, right? They're normally eight, seven, eight, 
nine hitters depending right. on the league. Yeah, it just depends on where that. But I think a great point that you bring up, more important than seeing pitches, is managing relationships because a huge part of what catchers do is manage oh, yeah. their pitchers. And if you can make that a, a tool in your arsenal as a player, you can carry that on as a coach. That's something that goes beyond when you're done playing. I think that go that that's that's a great point by you, Tom, about where they can be even more useful in their career. All right, back to the, a lot of hockey questions we got here. Uh, Bill Hoffman asks. It seemed like the Pens on a couple of their rushes made the extra pass rather than take the shot. I can think of two occasions. Did y'all notice this? Yeah, I think he's talking about um, the third line, Freddie Guerrero. There's a, one of those. And then um, the first line, um, I think it was a two-on-one with Russ and Gensel. So that I think that's probably what Bill's referring to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that the overpassing, I think we've seen at, at different points throughout the season. Um so, I mean, I'm sure that's something they might uh, focus on moving forward because, I mean, with a team as good defensively as the Islanders are, you don't get a whole lot of chances against them. So when you do have an opportunity like that, uh, like, you know, the two-on-one that, that Gensel and Russ had, you can't, you can't pass that up. Absolutely. I think that's great insight from Taylor, as always, breaking down the hockey and getting things. Listen, I, I'm a guy, like, I watch hockey and I keep up with it, but there's a lot of things like, who, what, 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 we? Uh, <laughs> I know Corsi. I know Fenwick. I, that's, but I, that's, that's about where it goes. But I, I get a lot of, I learn a lot from reading uh, Taylor's work on DKPittsburghSports.com. You can, too, and you subscribe there. <clears throat> hey, let's do a quick commercial to show you what we're all about here at DKPittsburghSports.com. At DK Pittsburgh Sports, we take pride in coverage that connects our city's fans to their favorite teams. Now, that connection's stronger than ever. Introducing our all-new state-of-the-art app. Find expert inside reporting and original podcasts. Check live box scores. Track the latest stats. Chat it up with our community of thousands of fans, all in one place. The new app from DK Pittsburgh Sports. Coverage that connects. We are back here on the Afternoon Ask Anything show here on DKPittsburghSports.com. Remember, you can submit questions here on uh, Facebook Live, YouTube, or Periscope if you're watching on Twitter. Thanks to all of our people who are asking questions. we got a lot to get here, especially when it comes to hockey. Uh, Let's keep it rolling here. We have B.H. Halleck who asks, are you surprised at how quiet Barzell has been so far through two games? Yeah, I mean, the... Um, No. Uh, my, I would say no because they're, they've, had, they've, they've had to defend. All they're doing is defending. Mm. Uh, they've played a lot against the defense uh, uh, lines, Tanif, uh, Czar, and Bluger, and they've done a nice job forechecking. And Everly and, and Barzell, who are two of their best players, really haven't been involved that much because a lot of time they are defending. They're not getting a lot of open ice. That is what Barzell thrives on. And the other part is the Penguins have limited, especially in game two, the odd man breaks. Uh, certainly, though, that's the, going back to the Coliseum. It'll be interesting to see if Barry Trotz tries to get away from some of the matchups that they have faced in the first two games. Taylor, jump in there. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, in the regular season series, Barzell was the leading scorer against the Penguins for, for the Islanders. And, I mean, coming in, um, you know, it was a focus on like I think like Dave wrote something the day of game one, like about how neutralizing Barzal is going to be such a huge part, and, and that that top line with um Everly and Komarov is going to be a huge part of this series. And 
I mean, they have, they've done that. So, I mean, watching these two, um, the two games, I think it's not surprising that, you know, they haven't gotten any points just because of how well the Penguins fourth line has done. Uh, It's shutting them down. That's the the line that the Penguins are for the most part matching against um, their top line. I'm going to have something more on this in a, in a drive to the net um, for Thursday, but um, yeah, Aston Reese Bligerton, if they've done a, a really good good job of that, because I mean, they that line was really dangerous against the Penguins in the regular season. Absolutely, got more of a, a statement here. A lot. Well, I guess this is it's an emphatic question. I'll put it that way. Apostolus Paul Lazarus asks, they got or says they got to have a shoot first mentality on the power play and most two on on most two on ones. Why can't the coaches emphasize on this with three exclamation points? Taylor, I have a feeling that this is just kind of who the Penguins are. The shooting, that's something that, I mean, Sullivan has emphasized, like when the you know power play was, you know, going through a slump. Um, he, you know, all he would talk about after is, you know, how they just need to shoot the puck more. And that would kind of solve a lot of the problems that, you know, the power play would be having. Um, I mean, getting more pucks on net, always a good thing, you know, more scoring chances. But then also something Sullivan says a lot is that, you know, if you're shooting more, um, you're creating more rebound opportunities, which is creating more like motion and you're allowing guys to use their instincts more. Um, and with, you know, the guys the Penguins have on like the top unit, like relying on their instincts, that's a real strength that the Penguins have on the power play. And they just need to shoot more to get, you know, things in motion and, and to, to get to that point. So, I mean, it is something that, that Sullivan has emphasized heavily. So. Tom, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, first of all, when you're, let's be honest too, you're like, going against a really good penalty kill. I think they're top five in the league. Uh, everyone knows the guys that they put out there. It's <laughs> you can't quite trap on a PK, but uh, they've certainly made it, and they've made the zone entries difficult too. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, they'll just have to work through it. I mean, it's it's power plays can run hot and cold, and as Taylor put perfectly the teams this is a team that likes to create they like to try to make the extra pass that was one of the reasons i love the addition of jeff carter because jeff carter is a shoot first guy uh we saw it again last night he he wasn't going to pass the puck once he came across the face of goal he was going to shoot and he you know sometimes guys make that extra pass he didn't he, he scored that's been one of the, his strengths since he's been. What's been the strength he's had since he's come in the league? So you hope that rubs off a little bit. But still, you know, you you some these guys have gotten to where they are by making plays. So there has to be a kind of a, a happy medium there. Switching it up real quick, going to a baseball question. Hey, give me some football questions, dang it! That's <laughs> what I'm here to do. Oh, I asked all these baseball and hockey questions. About to have me talking about Corsi again. Um, Robert Fulton asks. Uh, I believe that the, these four Pittsburgh Pirates players have a shot at making the all-star game. Wondering what you guys think on uh, Stallings, Frazier, Rodriguez, and Reynolds. I, I, I'll say this, I, you know, and again, I'm not able to watch all the Pirates games. I do keep up with what they're doing. I know Stallings has gained a lot of respect around the league, and he's, he's a guy that people do respect. Maybe he could get there. I know Adam Frazier has played very well this season. I know Rodriguez has stepped up. I'm not so sure that these are enough to you know to warrant you know getting jumping ahead in any voting uh to to get to the all-star game you know i think reynolds and there's a lot of outfielders that are very talented in 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 baseball right now so i'm not sure how he'd fit in there frazier maybe if he keeps it up um you know but again stalling like i'd expect one guy to go maybe two if you know this year 
And, uh, you know, and two, I just think that's a stretch with where the Pirates are right now. But uh, Songs is a guy I do think could go. I just, it, it also is going to depend because it's May. You know, the All-Star game is in what, July? So, you know, it's, you still got a whole extra month to go through in June on top of the finishing out this month before we see where these guys are for any All-Star votes. Um, switching back to hockey, uh, Rick Isolda asks, good afternoon. I didn't get to see the whole game last night, but what I did see last night and in the very last, in the last several games, Marcus Pedersen almost looks like he's trying to avoid contact. I've seen him initiate contact before. Am I imagining things? I mean, who was it that just bowled him over? It, I, I think it was early in the game. I, I can't remember who, who it was on the island. Yeah. He, um, got sm- he got smoked. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was early. And I can't remember who hit him, but uh, he got hit hard. Um, I mean, he is taking contact. I think he, just in general, he's been struggling and he really didn't play a whole lot in, I think it was the second period. Um, His ice time was uh, maybe only like a minute or so. 158. Yeah. 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 So uh, I don't, I don't know. I just think uh, looking at the, the Penguins defense pairings, that one, um, maybe it hasn't been as strong as it was last last year. Um, as far as Pedersen specifically trying to avoid contact, I'm not sure. But, I mean, like, early on he did get hit really hard uh, in last night's game. There's There's been a ton of contact in this whole series, so it's not something that you can really avoid. And Sullivan talked about that this afternoon, too, and he said he doesn't think their series is any different than any of the other ones around the league, and that's just playoff hockey because there is a whole lot of like the physicality has increased from, you know, just the regular season series against the Islanders, a lot of hits. And boy, it's good that Brian Dumoulin came back into the game because I think uh, Pedersen had been moved up to the first uh, grouping after Dumoulin had that horrific fall into the end boards. Uh, But he was able to come back and and take his normal shift at what Taylor, he missed what one or two shifts. Do I don't one, even, he only missed he a couple only, of shifts. No, yeah, he he was only in the room for for a minute or two. Um, I mean, yeah, oh, I was watching the amazing. tunnel. He he came out right away and then uh, came to the bench. And then when his his uh, pairing was up next, he took the next shift. So yeah, he really didn't miss any time at all, which is huge. That they avoided that with him. And then the game before when he blocked the shot with his foot. Um, <laughs> that because I mean he was in a lot of pain and you know he was getting kind of wor- it looked like they were, they were like taping up his boot in the tunnel after. Um, and then he did miss practice, you know, in between games, but uh, it was a maintenance day, but it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's game two. He's got a bad back and a, and a bad <laughs> foot or ankle. And, oh my goodness, these guys are, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's not, not a little too rich for me. Yeah, they can't lose him. What's, what's not rich for me is we got Steelers questions. <laughs> uh, there now, you go. There we go. Tim Allison says, will the Steelers be bringing in any vets for depth, especially an outside linebacker and cornerback? I know there isn't a ton of catch. I estimate for the Steelers to have around six and a half-ish million dollars once all rookie contracts are signed. They still have to sign their top three picks in Kendrick Green, Pat Fryermuth, and Najee Harris. But I do think that there is the space to still get a guy. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be Richard Sherman or Justin Houston or one of those guys. In fact, I wrote about that earlier this week. You know, there's there's a couple edge guys out there. I think cornerback is is as is isn't as much in play as edge defenders because they need guys who are going to back up TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, or at least spell them. You know, maybe come in and you know, maybe who knows, maybe he's better than Alex Highsmith. He is a second year player coming off of a, a decent rookie season. Um, but for 
uh, for that, I think there's, you know, the, the top guys that are left right now, as far as edge rushers are Justin Houston, Melvin Ingram, and uh, Trent Murphy. All those guys, they could be fits. But the problem is, is what they cost. And Dale Lolly and I have talked about this a lot on the Lolly Carter Steelers podcast. But, you know, like we, we saw Ryan Kerrigan, he got signed to the Eagles for three and a half million dollars. That ain't bad. That's a pretty good deal for, uh, you know, he's 33 years old. These guys are all like 32-ish. I think Trent Murphy, Murphy's 30. That ain't bad. Now, the only thing is, is that you're paying for a guy to basically play defense because those guys, they're not playing special teams, and that's what the Steelers go for. There's still the former Steelers out there like J. Ron Elliott and Anthony Ciccolo. I'm not saying definitely them, but I'd say I expect closer to someone in their range of, of being expensive and being able to contribute on special teams. Um, so there's that. Um, going back to some hockey questions here. And actually, this is a general question that involves hockey. But Paulski Five Cents, one of our regulars, what's up, Paul? Um, says, uh, do you agree that goalies, starting quarterbacks, and pitchers are the players on the team that have the most control of the game but also have to have the shortest memory? May we not have a short memory of, K- of Carey Price? <laughs> yeah, we got our Carey Price reference. Every show I want a Carey Price reference. Thank you, Paul. We appreciate you for doing that. What do you guys think on this? Because, I mean – I think a lot of positions have to have a short memory. Cornerbacks have to have a short memory. Quarterbacks have to have a short memory. Pitchers, batters, uh, you know, goalies are, are, are one. I think it's kind of a thing that you have to have in sports a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, specific to the most, I think, in hockey, I think goalie just because, I mean, we saw it in game one where, you know, the Penguins played a good game, but, you know, Jari's off and off his game, and that's that's the game for the Islanders. Um but then, and then also, you know, having the shortest memory, having to put that, he has to put that behind him and bounce back for game two. And then that's what he did. Um, so I think hockey, it, it's a little different than goalies are. And they are so uh, different from the, the skaters in this regard. But, you know, I mean, I really anyone, you know, after game one, they have to kind of have a short memory with that and move on to, to, to game two. Tom, your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, well, so certainly in, in hockey, and there's no question. And what was the first part of it? Yeah, I mean, goalies goalies are so important in the outcome of games, uh, as as are quarterbacks. I think quarterbacks obviously have to have short memories too. Um, but I agree with you, Chris. I think cornerbacks, there's a lot of positions in football where you can say that. Uh, pitchers, uh, yeah, I would think pitchers would have to have the shortest memory just because uh, the 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 – every play starts with the ball in your hand. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think ho- hockey and, and, and baseball are the two that, that the two examples that Paul uh, references there. That's the most uh, football. I think there's more positions. Absolutely. We have a pit basketball question. Bill Hoffman says a pit hoops question for Carter. It seems that uh, the AD Heather like um, is all in supporting coach Capel. What do you think is his window to show the squad trending in the right direction. Good question, Bill. And this is one that a lot of people are asking. I really think it hinges on how this core stays together of the 2020 class. The 2020 class had two four-star guys in William Jeffers, who we saw a little bit last year, showed some promise, but obviously needed to grow. And John Hugley, who we saw very little bit before he got charged with two felony counts, which were recently dropped. Then you had three-star guys, Noah Collier, Femi Udakale, Femi Odakali stepping up the way he did was huge. And then you get Nike Sabande tra- transferring in. There's makings to, to build something there. But you cannot have the exodus happen again. This year they lost five guys in the transfer portal. My estimation is this. If in two years from now, so two, four, two more full seasons, 
if we're talking about how that course was split up again and Pitt's just going to have to rebuild again, I think that will be when it's like, hey, Jeff, we gave you a chance, but it wasn't working. But I want to remind people that he's dealing with three unprecedented challenges on top of each other right now. One, taking over for Kevin Stallings on top of being having the, the, the worst record of any pit coach in the last hundred years. He decimated the program. He you know, instituted practices and things in, in the, the things that in the way that they, they handled things that were just horrible and just destroyed any reputation or belief systems within the players that were there. Forced NBA player guys who made the NBA to go elsewhere. Cameron Johnson's playing very well in the NBA and he was chased away by Kevin Stallings. That's the kind of the, the, the level he's picking it up from Jeff Capel, you know, trying to recover. And then on top of that, you had COVID-19, which limited their chance to practice until late summer last year. And then on top of that, with COVID-19, you know, you have the transfer portal. So also one thing that Heather Like brought up when I talked to her about this and I, she said one of the biggest things that Jeff's one of his best skills is building relationships with players that last. And when you and he said he got she said he got a, a house in Shadyside close to, to close to campus in order for him to be able to build those relationships, to have players over to his house, to talk to them, to, to build to see what's going on, to you know, make sure that he's in the middle of the chemistry. When that not can't happen, that's a huge part of Jeff Capel's arsenal out of the game. And then you see an exodus like this happen where five guys transfer out of the system. So I think that and then on top of the transfer situation in college basketball, just passed over 1,600 players yesterday. It's never been heard of before. Last year was 1,025. The year before that was like 800, something like that. It's doubled from two years ago. It's just, it's ridiculous. So to, to, to I think for anyone trying to put a short stopwatch on Jeff Capel's era, I think you need to pump your brakes. Let's see how these next couple years go. If this core stays together and you see things build from that, that's where you're going to be able to determine his future. But not something that I, I I don't think I think it would be ridiculous to to get rid of him now or even next year before we see how that plays out. Um, Kyle Myers has a fun question from hockey. Did you guys catch Tanev calling someone an effing coward slipping through on TV? It was so funny. I didn't see the coward one. I told him I saw the 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 shut the f up one. It, that's the same thing. Oh, it's the so same. Okay. it was after he. He, he slid like, you know, like head first into the goalpost. Mm. He was like hurt. You know, the trainer comes out, you know, sees him. But then, you know, while he is down, a scrum kind of ensues. But yeah, Tanev um, talks with uh, Stuart, the trainer, a little bit, then pops right up and just goes right into the scrum. He, yeah, I, I don't know who he was yelling at, but he said, like, you're an effing coward. Uh, shut the F up and all that. And then, uh, you know, he goes to the bench and he's yelling at the Islanders the whole way back. And then it's like, okay, Tanev's fine because uh, it did it didn't look great when he when he slid into the goalpost. But yeah, watching that. Um, and then the Penguins did like post a video after the game of you know like the final seconds of um, of regulation of him on the bench. And um, as soon as you know like the horn blows, like he's he punches Bluger in the rib cage and then like shoves Crosby back. Crosby almost goes down. Like he's just so fired up. <laughs> like I, I tweeted, I was like, what happens if they win the cup? Like that sounds like I would not want to be next to Tana. He just starts hitting like, me with a stick. Like ah, I was like he's gonna start throwing guys over the boards. Like, <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah, it's, Daniel. Uh, Daniel, Dan, former NHL player Daniel Carcillo was known as Car Bomb. I think Tanip will eventually be known as F Bomb. <laughs> so that's uh, that's just <laughs> it's some of his uh, it's some of his best work on video uh, beyond being a good player. But uh, he certainly uh, certainly shows his emotion. 
we're gonna we're gonna try to run through these. We got about like two ish minutes left. We'll go a little bit over just to get all your questions in. Thank you for your questions, by the way. If you missed any of our answers, be sure to turn into our podcast network where this will be up in about I'd say about thirty minutes after being uh, we, we're finished here. But Chris Lynn asks, uh, Chris Carter, did the Pens crowd make you miss the roar from Heinz Field? Listen, man, I, I sat in Heinz Field being empty all pit football season long. And before anyone makes you pit football jokes about it, normally being empty, get the, get, get the heck out of here with that. There's at least th- thousands of fans there. But I'm talking about empty, empty. That made me miss the roar of, of Heinz Field fans. because That's just like, man, it's weird. And it's going to be an adjustment to get back to that. I'm excited to see it either way. Um, but it was cool seeing the half capacity um, at PPG Paints Arena. Uh, Ma- Maxwell Peckage asks, are, are the Penguins doing the thing with their jerseys that they did in 2016 with phasing them in during the playoffs? I, I had that same thought. because So what he's talking about is in 2016, the Penguins were sa- wearing the Vegas gold. Um, and then their the old, you know, the 90s colors, like those jerseys were alternates. But then, you know, in 2016, they started wearing um, those alternates as the home jerseys. And then um, those just became the home jerseys. They, you know, switched the next season, switched colors back to, you know, those thirds became the home jerseys. And so this season, what they're doing, the home games, they're wearing their alternates at home for all home games, the gold ones. Um, I don't, I can't see them switching to those full time. I, yeah, I don't know. I can't see them going away from the the jerseys I have now. They're very, they're they're classics, and I I, I don't know about you guys, Tom, but like I don't like these <laughs> these gold jerseys. They're missing like the triangle behind the logo, and it just it just looks so off. Um, I I'd like to see the, like these third jerseys go go away, get new thirds for next year. Uh, I'd be I'd be shocked to see them go switch to those full time. I'd be, I'd yeah. be shocked as well. Go ahead. I, I agree. I know. I, I agree, Taylor. Everything you just said there. Moving right along, got a football question from Swan269. It says, uh, do you think, uh, do you know how much cap room approximately the Steelers have next season and who will be the biggest priority with that space? Uh, well, uh, we don't know because the salary cap is always in flux, but right now it's projected that the Steelers will have around $74.3 million in cap space. Now that's without TJ Watt being signing up. He, I expect him to take on anywhere from 25 to $28 million of that cap space. But as it stands right now, the Steelers would have, have the most cap space in 2022. Or no, I'm sorry. Actually, the Colts jumped them recently. So they have, but they have the second most cap space in the NFL. Um, and even with uh, it, with TJ Watt getting a big contract next, for next year, they, that, that takes up a bunch of cap space. They would still be in like the top 10 of teams with cap space for next year. So they have a ton of money to spend next year. We'll see how that goes. Uh, TJ Watt is a priority. Minka Fitzpatrick will be a priority. Lots of guys to fit into that. Got a hockey question here. Um, do you think, uh, Lewis McKenzel asks, do you think we will ever see Carter on a line with Crosby and Malkin if we need an offensive boost in a game, assuming Malkin is healthy? First of all, I am flattered to think that you guys could play. I think I could play with Crosby and Malkin. I'm telling you, y'all need enforcers? I got enforcers, man. I can come out there and hit somebody. Now, I got to learn the skating part first, but once I get there, it's go- I'm, I'm bringing the pain. But Taylor, take it away on Jeff Carter. <laughs> no, no, no. If he's saying all three of them together, like, no. Um, maybe <laughs> maybe in like a six-on-five situation at the end of a game if you pull a goalie. Um, I mean, that's when you, you'd probably see all of those guys out there at the same time. Um, but I don't know, maybe – shifting Carter up to uh, wing on, on one of those guys for a bit. I mean, if they're healthy, uh, yeah, just because the Penguins do have um, guys like 
Bluger's not Bluger's going to stay your your fourth line center. Goudreau can play third line center. So um, if you want to move Carter to wing, um, you could. But I mean, not 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 all three of them at the same time, unless it's like a six on five at the end of a game. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, you remember the days where there there have been times where Sullivan and and previous coaches have put Malkin and Crosby together. Uh, but boy, since Jake Ensel and Rust have have come on, I wouldn't know really why unless that line completely stagnated that you, you would never just keep that group together. That's a really good first line. Uh, it would take, to me, it would take injury uh, to one of those two wingers uh, to, to, to force something like that, because then you start, you start to tear apart, a, you know, another line. Uh, I would say no. Kyle Myers asks what running backs make the Steelers roster this year after Najee Harris. How many do they keep? I say they keep four. Um, they'll keep Harris. They'll keep, um, I can, I see them keeping Benny Snell. Um, I think Anthony McFarland makes it cause they don't want to give up on him just yet. Um, but then I think it's going to be a battle between who can make themselves more reliable on different roles, especially in special teams between Jalen Samuels and Kalen Balaj. Um, and I could see Kalen Balaj winning that he's had more experience running the ball. I just, I'm not sure what Jalen Samuels brings to you there. Um, we're going to move quickly here with the last few questions. Philip asks, uh, does anyone really know what's going on with Malkin's injury and how close he is to playing? Yeah, so I mentioned at the beginning, he is traveling with the Penguins to New York. Um, couldn't really tell you what's going on, uh, like when he might play. That doesn't mean he'll play in New York. Um, for the last week or so, um, he's, I mean, he's been practicing, but he hasn't been taking line rushes or working with the power play. And he normally begins or ends practice with extra work with um, Ty Hennis. I mean, the, the last what uh, practice I covered in Cranberry between game one and two, I mean, it's clear how hard he's working to come back normally during the regular season or, you know, if he's healthy, um, you know, formal practice ends. He's one of the first guys off the ice, but um, he stayed out there, the practice between game one and two for uh, an extra 40 minutes after uh, working with uh, all kinds of things, because the way, you know, guys stay out on the ice, uh, it's optional. But I mean, they're kind of different stations set up around the ice, like, you know, Mike Volucci's over here working on face-offs with guys. Ty Hennis is working on shooting over here. There's stuff going on at the other end. And he was, you know, kind of rotating between the stations. He was doing like face-offs, like facing off against Crosby and shooting with Hennis and all that. And uh, he was, um, I mean, the last guys on the ice were Ty Hennis, the skills coach, Malkin, and then Bluger, because Hennis asked Bluger to help, you know, with one of the, the drills of Malkin. So it is cl- yeah, clear how hard he's working. Um, Another one of the things I thought was interesting from that practice, at one point he went up, like in that extra work, he went up to Colton Sevier and said something to him. And then Sevier, for like a full like minute and a half or so, just starts hitting Malkin into the board. So like Malkin, like asked, I like asked him to help him work on contact. But yeah, it was uh, just funny to watch to see Colton Sevier just taking runs at Malkin uh, straight into the board. So yeah, I mean, I how close is he playing? I don't know. It's a good sign that he's going on this trip. Um, but uh, he's, it's clear how hard he's working to get back. Awesome. We're going to keep running through here. Robert Fulton asks, where do you think Aaron Rodgers will land? Tom, I don't know about you. I, I saw the, I don't know if you saw the diva comments by the, I think it was the Packers GM, um, but, you know, about, about your know, players need to, you know, stop being divas. And everyone's like, oh, is that about Aaron Rodgers and all this other stuff? I, I still have a hard time with him, seeing him leave there. But if he left there, I would see the Broncos make a lot of sense because they have a ton of cap space and they need a quarterback. But outside of them, I mean, you know, the Jaguars just drafted a guy. The Jets just drafted a guy. The Bengals just drafted a guy. I mean, maybe the, the, the Packers wouldn't trade him to the Lions. The Browns, they have their first overall pick in, uh, in Baker. The Colts 
have – I'm going through the teams that have the most cap space right now to be able to absorb Aaron Rodgers. Um, the Colts just got Carson Wentz. The Chargers just drafted Justin Herbert. The Niners would be next up with $17 million and they have Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, but they just drafted Trey Lance, so they're out. Uh, I, the Broncos seem to make the most sense. I would think Washington could be on the radar, but they only have like $13.8 million in cap space. I'm a, I'm a little uh, – I'm not sure how that would fit. Okay. Yeah, I thought uh, once once we got through the draft and he wasn't moved, I think there's probably more and more likelihood that he's going to be around and they'll just go through another season of drama. I really did think he was moved, and I think you're right. I think you were I think Denver does make the most sense if there is some kind of move, but I'm just starting to think this is going to be a year to year thing here with the drama. Uh I mean there was some of it last year anyway, right? This wasn't uh, this this was right. certainly ratcheted up. Uh, but you know, I, I, you know, I, I think, uh, again, not to say it doesn't happen, but I thought if it was going to happen, it probably would have happened around the draft. I agree. I thought, it, I, I thought it did happen, but it didn't. All right. We're wrapping up here. Michael Nesbitt says transfer portal is making good coaches look very bad. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, even super blue bloods with great coaches are, are losing players. Bill Hoffman said, thanks CC. Thank you for that. Uh, Chris Lynn says I must have missed it when the Steelers were up against the salary cap and they maneuvered to get the to to protect themselves. Dale and I were telling y'all it was going to happen on the DK Pittsburgh Sports.com's podcast network for for months. They were going to m- find a way to keep the guys they needed to keep, and they've done that and they even signed a few guys they didn't expect them to. Um, so th- there's that. So thank you for Chris Lynn for your question there. We're going to wrap it up there. We uh, we've had a great show here, way over time. But uh, thanks Taylor, thanks Tom for your time, and thank you all the listeners, the, the viewers, and the people who ask tons of great questions. Tune in tomorrow, another episode of Afternoon Ask Anything with three new writers right here for you to listen to on YouTube, YouTube, Facebook Live, or Periscope, or in podcast format on DKPittsburghSports.com, where you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and rate us five stars with a positive comment. Thanks so much.